1 John chapter 2. On Sunday mornings, we've been making our way through this wonderful letter of 1 John. And as we've been making our way through the letter, we've been seeing that John has really been emphasizing this theme of relationship. Having a real relationship with God, how that affects the relationship we have with other believers, and dangers that can come in our life to our relationship with God. For example, the last time we were in this letter of 1 John, in the previous verses that we covered, we noticed that John spoke to us about the danger of the spirit of Antichrist. Not only the Antichrist speaking of him in terms of a political and economic and spiritual leader that the Bible says is coming upon the earth, but also just in this sense of being opposed or an imitation of Jesus. Now, in the midst of all these different kind of obstacles that can face us in our Christian life, and I trust you're aware of those things. I trust you know that perhaps the people you work with or the people that uh, uh, hang around you or maybe it just comes from your own heart and your own inclinations, there are things in your life that can lead you away from the Lord. Well, John's going to tell us this morning how to preserve our relationship with God and an important principle that he's going to emphasize to keep that relationship close and tight with the Lord. Well, I'm tired of talking about it. Let's just look at it here in verse 24. He says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. You see, John has been talking to us about these dangers that are there in our Christian life. The things that can keep us from forming or keeping a strong relationship with God. And in light of these dangers, he's going to write out a prescription for us. He's going to tell us how to avoid these landmines. He says, stay close to the core message of Christianity. That's what he means when he says in verse 24, Therefore let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. You see, my friends, John can say this because these early Christians had good apostolic biblical teaching when they first came to the Lord. And so John can just recall them back to those first things. Now, you know, not everybody has that privilege. Not everybody has that gift of having good biblical teaching in the early formative days of their Christian lives. Sometimes people get hooked up with a group or hooked up with a group of people in some way or another that aren't really teaching the truth, or maybe they're off or extreme in one way or another, and they don't get that good foundation to begin with. But these people did, and that's why John can say, you go back to what you knew from the very beginning. As we walk in the simplicity and the power of that message, we're not going to be led astray. I think it's a funny thing about us human beings is that by nature, we are almost always attracted to something just because it's new. We almost always think of new as being equal to better. But you know, it isn't that way, is it? Not everything you hear advertised as new and improved is actually new and improved, is it? Sometimes the older is better, and when it comes to truth, new is not better. That which you have heard from the beginning is better. Sometimes we can really get lost in this in the Christian life and have a real desire for novelty. I want to hear something new. I want to hear something that I've never heard before. Watch out, that can be a danger. 
Now, as I look out upon you all this morning, and you all love the Lord, and I, I see that, uh, that, you know, you're walking with God, and it's just a beautiful thing, but there's one thing I notice as I look out across faces, and faces that I've known for quite a while here, and I see it in my own face as I look in the mirror. We're not getting any younger. You know, and the years are going on, and we're being Christians for longer and longer periods of time. Some of you have been Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for five years, or 10 years, or 50, or 20 years, or maybe even longer. And as you've walked with the Lord for a long period of time, sometimes there's this dangerous tendency that can creep into your Christian life to where, you know, the pastor's up there and he's talking about something from the Word and you just kind of say, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I I remember that one. Yeah, I've I've heard that one. And then you just kind of go back and you start thinking, well, you know, where are you going to go out to lunch after church or what you're going to be doing this afternoon? You just put your mind in neutral. My friends, that's not what God would have you to do at all. You see, when we're of that mentality, we can be easily seduced by something new and spectacular. And if I were to stand before you this morning and say, I'm going to show you something in the Bible that you've never seen before. Matter of fact, nobody's ever seen it before. (laughs) Then half you people should leave and the other people should say, I don't know what he's going to talk about, but I'm going to be on guard. My friends, I want you to know that it's my aspiration as a teacher, as a preacher of God's word, to not teach anything original, to not teach anything new. I'll just stick with the message that's right here in this book. If somebody can say, that David, all he tells us is just what's in the Bible, I'll be happy with that. It's not my aspiration to be a teacher of new things or different things. I just want to stick with that message that you've heard from the beginning. And when we abide in that message that's from the beginning, it means that we're staying close to our Bibles. Now, if that's the environment that you were in when you were a young Christian, wonderful. But if it's not, you need to put yourself in that kind of environment right now. To where you're being taught biblical truth. My friends, that's what it's all about. You know, it's not all about churches. It's not all about denominations. I hope nobody here in this room thinks that when you get to heaven, you can flash some kind of Calvary Chapel membership card and think that's going to get you anywhere before the pearly gates. My friends, it's not. God's not going to care what denomination it was or what church it was. God's going to want to know, did you follow biblical Christianity? And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. But I love the word that he uses there. Did you notice that word? Abide. Let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. My friends, abide means to live in, to dwell in. And when John tells us to let the truth abide in us, He doesn't mean just to know the truth. He means to live in the truth. And when the simplicity of the truth of Jesus is living in our life, then we're going to abide in the Son and in the Father. Isn't it glorious here? He makes the connection. You saw it in verse 24. He says, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, right? If the truth is abiding in you, then what? Look at it in verse, at the end of verse 24. You also will be able to abide in the Son and in the Father. You know, our world is filled with people searching for God. 
Some of those people are searching for God sincerely. Some of those people are not so sincerely searching for God. But listen, if somebody really wants to live in God, John tells us how, let the message of the apostles, let that which you heard from the beginning live in you. And I just love it. I love how Paul, or excuse me, how John phrases this. Because John does not say, notice what he does not say. He does not say, if you know God's word, then you know God. He doesn't say that. Because someone can have a bare intellectual knowledge of God's word. You know, there are some people out there who've memorized whole chapters, whole books of the Bible. They know it frontwards and backwards. They can tell you about this Greek text and that Hebrew text. And they know the Bible. Maybe you've talked to people like that when you're just out in the normal course of your life and you end up talking to people about Jesus. And you kind of go, whoa, this guy knows the Bible. He's quoting to you chapter and verse. He knows this aspect of theology. This guy knows more about the Bible than I do, you're thinking. And then you come to find out that this guy doesn't know the Lord at all. My friends, it's not knowing the word that means that God lives on us. It's living in the word. It's abiding in it. John does not say, if you know God's word, you know God. But he does say, if God's word lives in you, God lives in you. You can come to a living, growing relationship with God through his word. And you know, I get pumped up preaching about this stuff. Because plainly put, that's one of the things we're all about here at Calvary Chapel, aren't we? Bringing people into a real relationship with God through his word. And I know that this is true. I know that this works because I know it in my own life. I wish I could describe it to you. I wish I could tell you what it's like for me when I'm alone in my office and I'm just there sitting there studying the word, either for myself or preparing for a teaching. And I'm just there and and the Holy Spirit comes and meets me in such a powerful and precious way. Just there when I'm communing with the Lord in his word and he's just speaking to my heart and, and giving strength to my soul. He's meeting me there and his word's living in me and... And he is living in me. My friends, I want you to have the same thing too. I want you to be able to come and have God live in you by having his word live in you. And oh, how we need to abide in the Son and the Father. You saw that at the end of verse 24, didn't you? He said, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. You know, John's going to use the word abide six times in these few verses that we're going to consider this morning. And the idea is repeated throughout the New Testament. My friends, this is our protection in the Christian life. This is how we guard ourselves throughout all the obstacles, throughout all the the dangers that are out there against us spiritually. How do you protect yourself? You abide in the word, you abide in Jesus. Isn't that simple? But this is a mistake many people make. Abiding in Jesus, that is living in Jesus, it's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. We must give ourselves mentally and spiritually to living in Jesus. You know, some people think that uh, abiding in Jesus or living in Jesus is just like, well, let's say that a, uh, uh, you know, iron ore might be in a big rock. And it's just there. Well, it's in it and it's just there. There it is. It doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to stay there. But that's not how it is in our abiding relationship with Jesus. We must give effort forth. We must give mental. We must give spiritual effort forth to keep that abiding relationship with Jesus 
present. But you know what I think is the glorious thing? You see, we're not only called to abide in Him, but we are also called to know that He abides in us. It's a two-way relationship. You know, I love the the song set that we had for worship this morning. And one of the songs that we sang, I Am the Good Shepherd, really speaks to this point powerfully. Did you notice in that song that we sing it in two voices, as you will? In the first part of the song, we sing, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for you. Now, we understand that when we sing that song, we're not speaking as if we're the good shepherd. We're speaking the words of the Lord to us. The Lord saying, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for you. And then the Lord calls to us in that song and he says, enter in, enter in. And then he says, no one can take you away. We have that strong relationship. He abides in us. And then we sing it back to the Lord in that song. We sing, you are the good shepherd. You lay down your life for me. And then we call out to the Lord and we ask him to enter in. And we declare that no one can take you away from us, Lord. And it's a two-way street, isn't it? We abide in him, he abides in us. Now, friends, you don't have to worry about God abiding in you. He'll take care of that. But can I just tell you that what you need to do is stretch forth your heart to stretch forth your mind to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I want to live with you. I want it to be a daily thing, an hourly thing with you. I want to live with you. You see what kind of blessing comes forth from this? Look at verse 25. It says, and this is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. My friends, that's the fruit. That's the payoff. That's the blessing of abiding in the truth and in God, eternal life. When his truth, that is that which we heard from the beginning, when his truth lives in us, then God lives in us. And when God lives in us, we have a promise. And in this kind of life, the promise is is of eternal life. And that's a real promise. My friends, isn't that glorious? Isn't it just meaningful to us that we can have eternal life? I need to ask you a question. What is eternal life? You know, a lot of people think eternal life is immortality. No, it's not the same thing, my friends. Everybody has immortality. Every person around you, every person that you ever meet is going to live forever. They have an immortal soul, and that soul will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. You see, it's no special gift for God to give us immortality. He's given that to every human being at their creation. But eternal life is different. Eternal life doesn't just mean a life that lasts for eternity. It describes the kind of life that God, who is the eternal one, describes the kind of life that he has in himself. So while the idea of eternal life has reference to the world beyond, can I just tell you this morning that eternal life doesn't begin when you die? Eternal life begins right now. And can I tell you, if you don't have eternal life right now, you're not going to have it when you die. Don't wait until you think that when you die, you're going to get it. That's why it's important for you to have the promise of eternal life right now. When he says in verse 25, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life, can you say, I'm one of the us? I have that promise of eternal life. Well, how do you know that you have it? If God's truth abides in you, and if you abide in the Son and in the Father. So friends, do you see, abiding is our grounds of confidence with God. You have the promise of eternal life as you abide. 
You know, one of the great controversies theologically in the Christian world is this whole business of, you know, once saved, always saved. Can a person lose their salvation? Can I just clear through all of that controversy and just say right now, are you abiding in Jesus Christ? That's the ground of your confidence. You know, sometimes I'll meet somebody and and, uh, they won't have a walk with God at all. Not at all. Their life is not alive to God at all, but they'll say, you know, 12 years ago at a concert, I went forward and said a prayer at an altar call. I guess I'm saved. So my friends, you have no grounds for confidence because you're not abiding in him. If you're abiding in him, you have every grounds of confidence. This is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. Because I just ask you a question, are you abiding in him? Are you living in him? That's every ground for confidence. You can leave here this morning knowing that you have eternal life if you are abiding in him. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, David. I haven't abided in him all this week. All this week I've been doing my own thing, and now I come here on Sunday morning, I need I have to be abiding in him, and, well, but I haven't done it all week. Maybe I have to abide in him a month before I can be saved. No, no. Abide in him right now. Just do it right now. Say, Lord, I just want to throw my life in with yours. I want to live with you, and I want you to live with me. That's going to protect you against deception. That's going to protect you against all the dangers that come your way in the Christian life. Now, there's another protection that comes our way, and John's going to speak about that in verses 26 and 27. Follow along here. He says in verse 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now again, John wrote this letter because he was worried about the dangers that were coming against these Christians and attacking them. And they had dangers back then and we have dangers right now. My friends, we're just not on cruise control in the Christian life. We need to have our defenses up. We need to have a course charted. We need to be able to say, this is where I'm going in my walk with God. And one of the great defenses that we have is this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's another defense that John mentions in verses 26 and 27, and it's the defense of the anointing that we have from the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to discern error and to keep away from things that are dangerous. Now, you know what discernment is, don't you? It's the ability to make decisions. It's the ability to make choices. And when somebody has discernment in their natural, in their physical body, they can go over to a hot stove and touch it and say, I discern that this is not good for me. My body is telling me that this isn't healthy, that this isn't good for my physical makeup, and so they can pull their hand away. My friends, when you're walking in the Spirit, when you're walking in the anointing that's been given to all Christians, it's your ability to move your hand away from a spiritual hot stove. Oh, and that's what's so distressing when you see Christians that lack this discernment. When you see Christians who lack this discernment, they're leaning up against a hot stove and they've got their, and the, the flesh is burning. And, you're, and people around there are saying, I smell something funny. Oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> Boy, isn't it warm in here? I feel so warm. It's nice. You know, it's just warming me. My friends, this kind of spiritual discernment that comes our way from the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's another thing that protects us. And that's what he's speaking about here. In verse 27, he says, but the anointing which you've received from him abides in you. 
That anointing abides in you. Now, when he's talking about this anointing, and we spoke about this last time we were in 1 John, he's speaking about this gift of the Holy Spirit that's the common property of all Christians. Let me say that again. The anointing he's speaking about is the gift of the Holy Spirit that's the common property of all Christians. It's not like some Christians have the anointing and some don't. Or should I say some Christians have the anointing, you know, in this hyper-spiritual sense. And the anointing is something that helps you do weird things spiritually. No, that's not what John's talking about at all. He's talking about this gift of the Holy Spirit that's the common property of every Christian. Now, though everyone who names the name of Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them, has this anointing, not all Christians are walking in step with the Spirit. Not all Christians are moving in that same flow of the gift of the Holy Spirit that's given in their life. And they need to be encouraged to do that. But they're not being encouraged to get something that they never had. They're being called to walk consistently with the anointing that's already been given within them. So he says, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Well, maybe I should just close this up right now and walk out the door, right? Is John saying that we don't need anybody to teach us? You know, some people have taken it this way, right? I don't need to hear from the preacher. I don't need to read any books about what people have written about the Bible. I don't need to listen to the radio or anything like that. It's just me and the Bible. I need no man to teach me. Well, my friends, can I say that this is a very wrong understanding of this verse? Because while it is true that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, and my friends, I believe that with all of my heart, that the Holy Spirit will teach us, and the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. We just have to ask, what means, what methods does the Holy Spirit use to teach us? Well, sometimes he teaches us just one-on-one in that sweet way between us and the Holy Spirit. We're in the Word, and he's speaking to our heart, and it's just a beautiful thing. But there's another method that the Holy Spirit uses to teach us, isn't it? And it's through teachers and preachers that he's appointed in the body of Christ. Could you imagine the first people who ever read this letter from John? Here they are, they're reading it down, and maybe he's reading it out loud to a whole congregation of people, and they get to this point where they say, but the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Well, and then they stop and they say, well, I guess we don't need to read this letter from John. He says, we don't need anybody to teach us. No, John's teaching us, but his teaching is one of the methods that the Holy Spirit is using. But John's point is very clear here. Every Christian has the capability of having this discernment. Every Christian has the capability of knowing how to take their hand off of a spiritual hot stove. John's saying that capability is within you. You just need to Follow the teaching of that anointing. Notice it here. He goes on to say, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. We're back to abiding again. You see, keeping your hand off of that spiritual hot stove is going to keep you in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. He's guiding us into all truth. He's guiding us closer to Jesus. So we find two great ways that John tells us about that we can be protected against dangers that come against us in the Christian life. One way is abiding. Isn't that great? Hey, they both begin with A, too. Abiding and anointing. 
Isn't that great? The two things that really protect us, guard us in the dangers of the Christian life. But now in verses 28 and 29, with which we'll wrap up this morning, John's going to talk to us more about this idea of abiding. And I just love these verses. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And friends, this is one of the great blessings of abiding in Jesus Christ. Because when we abide in Jesus, it means that we do not need to be afraid or we do not need to be ashamed when Jesus returns because we have intimately known him and we can have confidence at his coming. Now think about that. John's painting a picture for us. He's painting a picture of the return of Jesus Christ. And my friends, I'm here to tell you that the Bible tells us very plainly, very straightforwardly, that Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's going to come to receive his church unto himself, and then he's going to come to rule and reign over planet Earth. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming again. But when Jesus comes, let's just say that we're talking about when Jesus comes for his church, when we're caught up and meet the Lord in the air forever to be with him. John is telling us that some people will be ashamed at that moment. Now, I said ashamed, not afraid. There's going to be some people who are afraid because they're on the wrong side of eternity. Because they're not abiding in Jesus Christ at all. They're rejectors of Jesus Christ. And they're going to be afraid. They're going to be terrified when the Lord returns. But John isn't talking about that. He's talking about people who will be ashamed. You see, when Jesus returns, there will be among those who know him, some who will be ashamed before him at his coming. They will realize that they've been living worldly, unfruitful lives. And in one moment, the understanding will overwhelm them that whatever else they've accomplished in life, they did not abide in Him as they could have. My friends, this is something that we need to give careful consideration of. You know, the Bible teaches us that there are some people who will be barely saved. Saved as if by the skin of their teeth. Paul speaks to us about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about those who will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. You know, sometimes you see the ruins of a burned building, and not everything is burned, right? There's a few things poking up here and there. There's a few things that sort of miraculously survived. Paul says that's how it's going to be for some people in their salvation. They're going to barely make it as if they survived a fire. And For those people who are barely saved, those, at least for a moment, the coming of Jesus will be a moment of disappointment rather than a moment of glory. They're going to be ashamed. Now, I don't mean to apply that they're going to walk around heaven for all of eternity mopey and ashamed. But at least at that moment, there will be a sense of disappointment, a sense of unfulfilled potential of what they could have done in their Christian life. Now, you might be asking a very logical question right now. You might be saying in your mind, yeah, but David, what difference does it make? Look, as long as I'm in, right? As long as I make it to heaven. Well, no, not really. Let me ask you a very frank question. How narrow is the difference between barely saved and almost saved? I can't think that there's too great of a difference. 
My friends, why mess around with it at all? You know, when somebody is asking the question, how little can I do and still make it to heaven? Or when somebody's asking the question, how far can I stray from the shepherd and still be a part of his flock? Those are very dangerous questions to ask. No, instead, friends, we need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ and to not be ashamed at his coming. And what's the key to not being ashamed? You saw it right there. Abiding. And little, now little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let me read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's so uh, prime here. He says, what is the way to prepare for Christ's coming? By the study of the prophecies? Yes, if you are sufficiently instructed to be able to understand them. To, prepare, to be prepared for the Lord's coming, some enthusiast might say, had I not better spend a month in retirement and get out of this wicked world? You may if you like, and especially you will do so if you are lazy. But the one scriptural prescription for preparing for his coming is this, abide in him. If you abide in the faith of him, holding his truth, following his example, and making him your dwelling place, your Lord may come at any hour and you will welcome him. Now, how many folks here would say, you know what? If the Lord came right now, I might just be ashamed. You don't need to be. You can abide in him. You know what I love about this? Look at it again in verse 28. There's a two-letter word in here that blows my mind. He says, and now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Who's writing this? The Apostle John. Now, can I just tell you that this man had some pretty impressive spiritual credentials? I don't think there's a man or a woman walking the face of the earth who had such a close uh, spiritual relationship with God and such a pedigree of relationship with God as the Apostle John did. Yet at the same time, John says that we may have confidence, not that you may have confidence. John needed it too. John, glorious apostle that he was, he needed to abide and he needed to have this confidence also. So the way to be confident for the return of Jesus is to abide in him. When you abide in him, you're ready for Jesus to come at any time. Let me just come back to this point about abiding because it's so important. You know what it means to abide, don't you? It means to live in a place, to live there. And there are places that we live. You have a house or a home or an apartment where you live. And that's where you live. And then you have places that you visit. You have people who are at your house who live there. And then you have people who come to your house and they visit. Can I just ask you, is your relationship with Jesus more like a visit or more like living with him? Is this your visiting hour with Jesus right now, Sunday morning? See, I'm going to go visit Jesus. I'll go to his house. He doesn't need to come to mine. I don't want to trouble you, Jesus. I'll go to your house. And I'll visit with you. And I'm so glad you're here. And I think it speaks of something good in your heart and in your life that you've come here this morning. But Jesus doesn't want to have merely a visiting relationship with you. My friends, he wants more than visiting rights. He wants to be able to come and live with you. Can I just put it in modern legal parlance? We're not talking about visitation here, friends. We're talking about full custody. 
And Jesus wants full custody over you as his child. He wants to live with you all the time. And that's your grounds of confidence. So friends, if you abide in him, you have confidence. Because you know you're living your life the way he wants you to live it. Let me sort of pass this little life check past you here. If somehow you knew that Jesus was coming back next week, I don't know how you know, maybe a memo dropped from heaven and somehow fell on your driveway and you picked it up and it said, you know, secret memo from heaven, you know, for angelic eyes only, you know, stamped across the top. I don't know how to name it, but you know it was next week and you knew Jesus was coming. Oh, what would you change in your life? And if suddenly you start thinking, well, I got to stop doing this and I got to start doing that and I got to do this and that then maybe you're not abiding in him the way that you should. But if you say, well, praise the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm just going to keep walking with him until he comes. Then I think that's a pretty good clue that you have confidence in his coming, and you're ready to walk with him right now. Let's wrap it up with just a few thoughts here from verse 29. Uh, That's a precious verse. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? God is righteous, so those who are born of him practice righteousness. And so we're in a big circle here, aren't we? You abide in his word, you abide in him, you're you're not afraid, you're not ashamed of his coming, you have this anointing that's protecting you, and then you come back to this place where you're walking in righteousness because you're abiding in him and you're born of him. You know, one of the great things about Sunday mornings is you see families come to church. And as you see families come to church, you see mom and dad and the kids. And I tell you, the kids almost always bear resemblance to mom and dad. You can take a look and say, well, look, you know, she's got her mother's eyes. Look at that. Well, look, you know, he's got his father's nose. Look at that. It's just this or that or the other thing. Well, you could see that these are the children of these parents. My friends, can I just tell you that God's children bear resemblance to him? God is righteous. Those who are born of him practice righteousness. Sometimes you see families and the kids don't look anything like the parents, and you kind of scratch your head. What's going on? I don't, you know, and, you know, I pity those poor parents. They've got so much explaining to do all the time. But my friends, you understand the dynamic there, and I can understand God doesn't have any kids like that. All of God's kids bear resemblance to him. Now, it does say here in verse 29 that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It doesn't say perfect righteousness. That's for the age to come. That's when we're united with him in glory. Not perfecting righteousness, but practicing righteousness. Oh, I pray that you're born of him. I pray that you're abiding in him. That you're confident in his coming and that you're practicing righteousness. And I just think we should pray right now and ask God to work these things in our hearts. Lord, um, we were before you this morning as your children. And uh, we want to grow up to look more and more like you, our Heavenly Father, because we're born of you. So Lord, as your children, we just come before you humbly uh, this morning. And we ask, God, that you do this work in our lives to cause us to abide in you more closely than ever before. I pray, Lord, this morning for people who have obstacles in their lives that are keeping them from abiding in you. 
I pray, Lord, that you would gently but firmly take those obstacles away and draw them to a closer relationship than they've ever known before. We want to abide in you, Lord, through the truth of your word. Help us to do that, Lord. We love you, God, and we know that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for your loving word towards us this morning in Jesus' name.